Good morning. Okay, if folks could uh, maybe take their seats. If I could uh, just add, uh, to start with a, a third welcome this, this morning to those who uh, have more recently arrived. Um, I find it very interesting that uh, you see very often in a service that the things that lead up to the talk very often make the talk redundant. <laughs> in that God speaks and the talk just keeps on going with that, um, with that theme. However, this morning, one of the songs we sang, having spent five weeks talking about Nehemiah and building walls, talked about breaking the walls down, so I'm not <laughs> sure where this particular one is going to go. Although, as we will find out, it actually is very pertinent. Maybe uh, if I should introduce myself first, my name is Ray Murphy. Uh, I'm a, a long-standing or long-sitting member of the congregation here. Uh, myself and my wife, Julie, have been coming since about 1994. Uh, and we've seen the church move through uh, a different location in St. Warburg's into St. Catherine's. Uh, we've seen it grow, diminish, grow, stay, grow, do lots of different things, um, and very much uh, I felt over the time that the, uh, the messages we've been learning from Nehemiah uh, have been just as relevant to a church as to a group of people 2,500 years ago building a wall. Uh, we've seen how God can build, how God uh, can I won't say destroy, but pull things back a little bit, how God can expand dramatically. Um, there was a, a period between about 1995 and I'd say about 1998 uh, where there were pretty radical things happening in church that you wouldn't normally expect. Um, and God was really moving among the congregation, um, but more so in order to move out um, we heard last week from Steve, and we've heard many times from Owen about how the, uh, the sort of the, the message of this church is, is up, in, and out, and to balance those things, the up being our worship to God, the in being the growth of the congregation, and out being the outreach. Uh, and over the, the, the period of this church, we've seen different aspects of that have been emphasized, but always they've been added to and so we had a period where very much worship was very, very uh, a strong emphasis of the church, a time when outreach was a very strong emphasis of the church, <clears throat> almost to the exclusion of other things, and then a time when building up the congregation and teaching has been that. And it, God, is, as, as over that time, is blended, um, I think, remarkably to, to St. Catherine's, and at the same time has been throwing out. I mean, if you look at, at the city of Dublin at the moment, you will see um, imprints of the DNA of St. Catharines uh, throughout the city and throughout congregations throughout the city. And I think that's been dramatic. You know, what we've learned uh, previously on or in the last five weeks here uh, is how God is always in the job of building, always in the job of rebuilding, sometimes on the, um, on the rubble, as, as Louis said, or on the ashes of your former self, uh, as somebody might, uh, else might put it. Um, and how, as well as that, 
he was doing more than just building walls, he was building a community, um, just as he's here been building a congregation. And uh, even then last week, um, Steve brought us to the, the notion that this probably is more than just building a wall, as, as we've learned anyway, but um, Nehemiah began to put in place structures that would make the building of the wall relevant, that would make the place and that was then Jerusalem relevant, even though people, the, some of the people he was putting in charge were living outside of it, um, still the things were being put in place in, in order to have that community, or in this case, this congregation growing. And in Nehemiah 8 and 9, we come up <coughs> against something a little bit unusual. Uh, it's almost, a, a, in the book of Nehemiah, a gear change, uh, because we find, well, first of all, uh, that the seven month had come and the Israelites had settled. So we had this period of mad activity, uh, 52 days building a wall, facing all this opposition, and they settled. And you would have thought that's a sensible thing to do, you know, when you're exhausted, first thing to do is relax. But funnily enough, they didn't settle for very long because seven days later, one week later, we find that there is a gathering and this gathering, uh, sorry, we're going to come to the actual bit in the middle, but the gathering just happened spontaneously. It's not that somebody called and said, you know, it's at 10 o'clock rather than at 11 o'clock. Remember that, by the way, next week, 10 o'clock rather than 11 o'clock. Uh, it wasn't a calling, it was a gathering. The people of God came together spontaneously. And they came together, and we see three things, and I thought I'd get the three things all beginning with the same letter out early rather than late in the, in the talk, so that you remember them. There was a reading, there was a reaction, and there was a response. So we read in the start of Nehemiah that all the people assembled as one in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, they told Owen, get up there and tell us something. They told Ezra the scribe, bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So, Ezra did. Naturally, when you get told to do something, you do it. There's another unusual thing about um, Nehemiah chapters 8 and 9, in that Nehemiah barely appears in them. And what's more, when he does, he appears in the third person, not in the first person. You'll have read in the, the previous chapters that he said, I did this, God spoke to me to do this. I set this in place. Now all of a sudden it switches and he goes, this happened. For me, there was something momentous about that. It's as if he's saying, I need to step aside from this. You need to see this for yourself. Because in chapters 8 and 9, it's not just that the folks got together and Ezra read. Something far more exciting started to happen. And incidentally, I, uh, I googled images and pull, pulled this up. There is something wrong with this image. The thing that is wrong with this image is if you think of building a wall and taking 52 days and building it with rubble, it's not going to look like that. It's more likely that it will look like that. And I reckon this is Ezra reading to the people rather than the other one. But what was the response? Ezra got up. Sensible man, by the way, Ezra. He not only got up himself, he said, big crowd. And with this crowd, they're probably, A, not going to hear me, and B, if they hear, they probably won't understand properly. So he got 12 other folks to dot themselves around the crowd, 
And so he would speak, they would hear, they would speak. Next one would hear and speak. And so they were able to, um, to pass on what it was that was being said to the rest of the crowd. Very important because that meant everybody got to hear what was being said. And we also hear, interestingly, in the passage that uh, it was the gathering of people was all those who could understand. Peculiar, but it says this, Ezra brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all, which means children as well, who were able to understand. So he read aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square in the west gate in the presence of the people. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Something strange was happening. Got together in the morning. Would you ever read us something? And he read. And they understood. And what happened? Well, what happened was people began to feel something from what they were hearing. I love that. Just read and all of a sudden people are responding when you're reading. And it was quite a dramatic response. People listening attentively. Uh, they bowed down, worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now remember, this wasn't a reading from the New Testament. It wasn't even the Psalms probably at this stage. It was the book of the law, Leviticus. <laughs> Heavy stuff. I bet it wasn't a bit on skin diseases, but <laughs> we, we don't know. And that's the peculiar thing. We actually don't know what he was reading. And yet, we got this amazing response. And the response was that people began to worship. But more than that, there was tears and there was weeping. So people's hearts were beginning to be rendered by what it was that Nehemiah was saying. What did he say? Wouldn't we love to know what he said? Wouldn't we love to know the passages that he read? Because would that have the same effect on us? You know, I think there's possibly a very good reason we don't know what he said. Because it probably wouldn't have had the same impact on us. Because it was something that was read to the people that impacted their situation and their time, and not ours. So more questions than answers. That's a bit annoying. <laughs> and you know what the response was of Ezra and Nehemiah? This, here's the first and only time in these two chapters that Nehemiah himself appears. You know, when you get to a situation like that when uh, you're, you might be preaching and you, know, you can feel this wave of response. What's the reaction usually to that? The reaction very often to that is to bring up the volume a little bit. Begin to you know, hit the pulpit once or twice and begin to really milk the feeling, really milk what's happening. Nehemiah stood up and said, okay, that's enough. said, this should be a time of worship, it should be a time of joy, go home. 
bet they don't teach you that in preacher's college. <laughs> you got them. You got whatever it was, hundreds, whether it was thousands. And yet Nehemiah was saying, no, let's relax this. Let's tone it down, not bring it up. And I think the reason for that was that, yes, when we respond to God, our emotions are engaged and need to be engaged, but I don't think our emotions should be the things that come out on top. Because when you respond from emotion, what happens when the emotion leaves? So here Ezra and Nehemiah went, really, really glad that you're responding to this, really, really glad that God is telling you something here, but don't take any next steps just yet. Take it away and come back. And that is precisely, we find out what happens next. This in the uh, Jewish calendar, by the way, the seventh, this is the seventh month, and the seventh month has a couple of good festivals in it. Um, and one is at the start of the month, which happens here, and another is like two weeks later, uh, is the Feast of Atonement. I didn't read up too much on it, but Feast of Atonement sounds pretty good. <laughs> and in the meantime, um, the, uh, the Jewish people of the time would build like little tents and booths for themselves and live in them rather than their houses in order to represent the time that they were uh, spending 40 years in exile. And that's exactly what they find out here. Uh, so that maybe the, the bit of the book of the law they were reading was around this. Uh, they find that this is a festival that happened and immediately the people of Israel decide this is what we got to do. So they spend a couple of weeks living in tents, whether it's on their roof or in their garden, depending on whether they had a garden or a roof, um, and they come back every day. And every day, Ezra reads a little bit more of the law to them. Remember, these are the folks, men, women, and children of Israel who could understand were all of a sudden gripped, gripped, gripped with the word of God. They've reacted, and now they wanted more. And we find in Scripture there's a couple of places where this has happened. Uh, I learned one this morning <laughs> that I'd forgotten. In Jonah, if you remember, Jonah, uh, he went through his whale bit, went through his rebellious little bit, but then there was this big city, and God said to Jonah, walk through that city, say what I'm going to say, what I'm going to tell you to say, and see what happens. And it was a big city, and it took him, was it 40 days to walk through the city? No, it was 40 days, they'd be destroyed. It took him three days to walk through the city. And during those three days, all we know that he said was, this place is gone in 40 days if you don't do something. Hey, hey. And so he went through the city, and extraordinarily, God was at work. Whatever it was he said touched the nerve, and the city, as a whole, responded. And here's a third element that we probably know and will be getting to in about 12 weeks. <laughs> Pentecost. There was a day when the remnant of Jesus' people were meeting, they were praying, they were looking to God. Something happened, and instead of continuing to pray, they went out. Each of them spoke. They all spoke different languages. 
and what they said resonated with the people that were there because people who spoke different languages were all gathered. And what did they say? You know what? We don't know. That's annoying. We don't know. So here's three instances of revival. You know, we were given the words to say in those three instances, and we don't know what they said. You, you know why I think we don't know what they said? Well, because what they were talking about or talking to was people who had a particular need at a particular time. And we don't have that same need today at this particular time. So what we need to do is find out what it is that is the need that God is going to speak to out here. And I, I remember actually thinking something along those lines uh, at our prayer meeting here at the start of the year, over New Year's, where, you know, God wants to speak to this city. He wants to speak to this country. And we've seen he's done it dramatic ways. Why? Because he's spoken into something. What is it? I don't know is the answer to that. But I think one of the things we need to do is we need to get with God and find out what is that. You know, when we go out and we have something to say, what is it that people are going to respond to? You know, there was, as I mentioned earlier, there was a, a, a dramatic move of God in the mid-1990s. Uh, it was, you know, in, in lots of countries, but in this one, and it was in the country, and I, I think in Ireland at that time, was, was trying to find its new identity. It was sort of halfway between uh, depression um, between, you know, the constant sort of economic struggle. And it was, the country was beginning to pick up. Irish people were beginning to get a sense of identity. We were able to point to great things like, you know, U2, Riverdance, all this, you know, sort of a Celtic revival. And God spoke into that and helped to set that sense of identity. But it didn't continue. Again, why not? You probably need to be a sort of a social historian. Partially, it was probably the Celtic Tiger, and we latched onto materialism rather than the spiritual side. But today is different. We've gone through the Celtic Tiger boom and bust. We're a new city. We're a new country. And what's God saying? You know, I think we need to, we need to delve into that then over whatever length of time. Over this year. Why not over this year of prayer? By the end of it, are we speaking into the need that is there? But more than that, there's obviously also the sense of us as individuals and of us as a country. And we move, oh, sorry, us as a, as a community. We move into chapter 9. At the end of all of this, there was one particular day when, again, the same group of people, the same Ezra, the same Nehemiah got together and effectively, they got down on their knees and they said, right, Lord, this is where we're at now and we want to move one step forward. And chapter 9, if you read it, is essentially a summation of the entirety of the history of Israel to that date. It starts off with, um, with Abraham. You blessed Abraham. You made his name, sorry, you blessed Abraham and you made his name into Abraham. Uh, and you gave him, showed him this promised land. You brought him here. Uh, you gave him sons. His sons had sons. Those sons moved to Egypt. 
and it keeps on going. You get the story of their uh, move to Egypt, you get the story of God interacting with the Pharaoh in Egypt, not in a good way, uh, bringing the people out, bringing them to the desert, not a good thing, feeding them in the desert, good thing, giving them the law, fantastic for them, uh, bringing them to the promised land, even better, but them rejecting the promised land. And they go, you go through the, the, uh, the chapter, and it's all of this, and it's what I put in here, it's history with a but, because you get the history bit, and you go, and you brought them to here, but, but they rebelled, but they decided that manna wasn't good enough, and they would prefer um, to be eating something else, but they decided you weren't good enough, so they built a calf, but they decided that they didn't want to really follow God, but they wanted a king instead. And the king turned out to be a bit of a disaster, and they turned back to you, but they decided maybe we'd better go back again. History with a but. And it was, we brought, we came to here, and we had a bit of a problem. And we tried to fix it, and we had a bit of a problem. And we turned to you, and you fixed it. Thank you, but we went away and did it again. And very often that's what we do with our own lives, that, you know, bringing it from, from community to personal for a second. We're a bit like that. And if you will... Cup of tea, fathers. No, thanks, Mrs. Doyle. What do you think of her? Yeah, that. Are you sure you won't have a cup? It's a prize in our big raffle. Right, just the drop in your hand, then. Go on inside, Mrs. Doyle. I'll take the tray. All right, Father. I'll put the kettle on in case you want some more once you get in. Oh, God, Ted, look at that. There's a dent in the car. What? There's the dent. Just there, Ted. God, how did that happen? It must have been when you hit that fellow on the bike. Don't mention that. Anyone do. He was all right anyway. I saw him getting up. Not too bad. Sure, can just straighten that out with the tap of a hammer. Uh, have a look in that box over there. Oops, didn't mean to do that. I'll just tap it the other way. It's no use, Ted. You'll never get it absolutely right. And funnily enough, oh, sorry, I got it there. It's a great piece, but I think it is a poignant piece as well because that's what we do with our lives. There's a little dent and we think, well, we can fix that if we just, you know, a little tap of the hammer here, and a little tap of the hammer actually causes a second dent, but that's okay because you can fix that with the, you know, you, um, put the hammer at the back, and of course then you get a bulge rather than a dent, and eventually you end up with a car that looks like that or eventually you might end up with a life that looks like that. Or a church that looks like that. Or a country, an entire community, as we saw here, that looks like that. And how can we remedy that? How did these folks see that they would remedy it? And that's where you get to your but with a therefore. I've done, you see a little image here, uh, and that's very often us when we feel 
like God is distant. We're on the left, facing that way. God couldn't be more distant. Somebody couldn't be more distant from you when they're behind you. Because you can't see. And that's what the word repentance actually means. <coughs> now we use, and thank you for, for adding the word repent earlier. <laughs> that's what Jonah said, repent. Sounds very strict and very mean and very hard and very harsh, repent. But all repent is, is turning around. We see repentance sometimes as, you know, you need to get on your knees and you need to, as the Israelites, you need to weep, you need to mourn, you need to feel terrible. No, just need to turn around. And as we as individuals turn around, you get reconciled. You can see that which is behind you. That which was furthest can be closer. And that's exactly what we see in, in, in Nehemiah. Um, as you go through these, these chapters, it's as if uh, you st they started, they built the walls, they felt secure, they felt a community, they felt they were being built up, but there was something missing. So they turned to Ezra, who was a, a priest at the time, and said, look, tell us what God's perspective of this is. Give us something from the book that you've got there, and maybe that will help us to understand what it is we're missing, because there's something missing here. And he did, and they realized, yeah, what was missing was we're on completely the wrong track. We've built the edifice but that edifice is just the foundation. We need to have something else, and we need to be right with the God that we've been talking about. And so they went through, and it was basically a month of, of un first of all, understanding. This is critical. People, as I say, can respond emotionally. You can get a, um, a meeting where you get everybody revved up, and you get loads of people up the front, and they respond, but they don't understand. So these folks did the opposite. They had, as I said, their reaction, but then the response. And the response was the but with a therefore. We've had this, all these times where we've turned from God and we've turned and we've done uh, the things we wanted to do by ourselves rather than with God. And it culminated in us being carted off to a foreign land. Now you've brought us back. And they say, oh, by the way, we know we're still slaves here. We've still a way to go. But we now want to do your thing your way. And that is just as true today for us as a church, but for each of us individually. And the next thing that they did was they said, okay, therefore, therefore, we are going to make a covenant with you, God, and we're going to write it down, and we're going to stick to it. And what was that covenant? Well, that's next week's talk, because it's chapter 10. 
I would like, just before I finish, I was asked if I wouldn't mind to read, read a blessing. Uh, I believe this is prophetic. And so the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and let him turn his face to you, give you peace. So, I'll hand back to the, the band. Uh, as always, folks are welcome to uh, respond, whether emotionally or not, in, in, and get prayer. The, the prayer ministry will be available. Uh, if there's anything in particular, then please feel free uh, talk to any, Owen or any of the leadership team. If you do have a handle on what it is the need of this community is, then be loud. Thank you. In, in a moment, we're going to sing. Um, but I wonder, could we take just a moment together uh, to be still and invite him to speak to us about our lives? There's so much that we could highlight maybe i'm particularly struck by this idea of repentance again this morning that maybe maybe there's an area in your life where you're distant from god maybe there's an area in your life where you feel or you've chosen to turn your back on him but actually having heard that this morning, your heart, you just want to turn to him and ask him to speak to you and to give him, to give you new life. So just take a minute. Is there an area of your life where you feel far from God?